Once those cats in, and the cat just came and went boop. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. That was really funny. Oh. We're lovely. Hello there. Welcome to Where Love Lives, a new podcast hosted by me, Dr. DJ and author Lulu LeVay. Don't worry, this isn't a podcast dedicated to romantic love, but will instead be exploring life's pleasures and meaningful connections through conversation with a wide range of creative genii, from DJs, singers and producers, through to writers, film directors and fashion designers, some that you've heard of and some that you haven't. Last month, I was lucky enough to have had the ledge that is Jazzy B in for chat. If you missed that, too bad, but don't worry, it's not too late. Go back and have a listen. Today, however, I'm delighted to have with me audiophile extraordinaire Colleen Cosmo Murphy, who has, it's fair to say, has dedicated her life to music. She's been hosting radio shows since she was only 14, and now, as a producer, she has remixed the likes of some of my biggest faves, Shaka Khan, Candy Staten, and most recently, Roisin Murphy. Colleen was mentored by the great David Mancuso at his seminal loft parties in New York, but is very much in her own right a highly respected and experienced musical selector and curator, having founded Classic Album Sundays and the Lucky Cloud Sound System. Colleen is the real deal. She's authentic, her musical taste is solid, and she's completely herself. My type of woman. I interviewed her for The Face back in 1999 and we've been mates ever since. She also has the most addictive laugh I think I've ever heard, which you caught a glimpse of earlier on. Although I can't actually remember what on earth we were laughing about. Don't forget to follow me at Dr. Lulu LeVay and do go to the blurb to get the lowdown on today's show, previous shows and links to all the people that I've interviewed. We're lovely, follow me down, deep down we're lovely. So um, welcome, we have Colleen Murphy today as my special guest. Uh, I've always, always always called you Cos. Yeah. So you've kind of switched, that's kind of changed a little bit, do you want to kind of... Explain to those sure. who, who maybe don't know you as as Cosmo. Yeah, well, it's interesting because it's kind of um, I've done so many different things in music since I started when I was fourteen years old that I kind of separated things. Like classic album Sundays would be Colleen Murphy and DJing would be Cosmo, and then I realized, hey, I'm all the same person. I should put it back all together as Colleen Cosmo Murphy. But I started as uh, Cosmo when I was doing a radio show when I was 15, and um, it was uh, pu- it was called Punk Funk and Junk. <laughs> And it was early hip hop, punk, new wave, early funk stuff as well. And my friend, Mary Caruso, her name was Remix. And my name was Cosmo, which I got from the uh, Nucleus Band because uh, they had a DJ named Cosmo. So what does it mean, Cosmo? I mean, it's it, it's a it Greek shipping magnate's name. Right. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a Greek guy's name, actually. But it's just because I heard like, yo, Cosmo, give me a beat. 
and that was like uh, mm. a nucleus. And I was like, oh, my friend's going to be remixed. I'm going to be Cosmo. We had sweatshirts. I had Cosmo in the back of mine. She had remixed. We like, you know, walk around. I mean, that's pretty cool. Halls. I mean, I, really I, cool. I would have liked to have been called remix. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> is she still called remix? No, no. I mean, this is like back in the early 80s, like early hip hop, early hip hop. And then um, I kind of dropped it for a while. And I was just Colleen, Colleen Murphy on the radio for a long time. And then when I started a new show in the early 90s, I was doing a different style of music to what I had played on the same radio station years before. And I just thought, hey, let's just bring that Cosmo moniker back, never thinking I would be stuck with it for the rest of my life. It was just really a temporary solution. So would you rather get rid of it altogether? No, I like it. In fact, my daughter now, my daughter's middle name is... Remix. Uh, it's Colleen, and she wants to change <laughs> oh. it to Cosmo. Oh, to she? Oh, my God. That's amazing. Two she Cosmos. wants to legally change confusing. it to Cosmo. But I've told so many stories about it in the past. Like, yeah, I had hippie parents, and they named me Cosmo, but of course it wasn't true. It was mm. just, like, fun. So what does, um, if your husband, Adam, is, if you're having an argument, does he call you Colleen or Cosmo? Oh, it's, it's, it's Colleen. Colleen, Colleen. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, we talked a bit about the premise for this podcast. I mean, what do you what do you think about this idea of like where love lives, exploring uh, different forms of love outside of romance? Do you think that's an interesting topic? I think it's a really interesting po- topic. Being both an interviewer and an interviewee, and especially as an interviewee, I feel like I've been asked the same questions so mm. many times, and it's kind of these kind of wrote answers that just kind of come out and you know it, what's it's the worst great. question you've always been asked it's like what what's are your, your favorite album oh yeah <laughs> Yawn. my one favorite album are you joking what that, is your then, favorite but album? then i go and ask <laughs> no, everybody joking. else like give me your top five albums so i can only say it's my top five albums for today but please don't ask me that today oh, well, uh, but, uh, yeah i like it's interesting to both be the subject and to also listen to podcasts like these that explore other facets of people's personalities. You know, I'm known for playing records and being in music and classic album Sundays and DJing and doing remixes. That's what I'm known for. But my life is a lot bigger than that. There's so many different aspects to people. It's Mm. not just like, you know, just one dimensional. And I think like the reason of doing this podcast is kind of getting to the real sort of nitty gritty of what people are really like. Yeah. Like what is like authentic and meaningful about people. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And I think and obviously like you're a, a you know, music geek and music lover. But I think this is a really nice way to start with your first one of dancing. Because yeah. obviously that's intrinsic to the scene that we are both immersed in and you have been immersed in since a kid. So let's talk about that as your one of your loves, which is an activity. Mm. Well, it's interesting. I noticed how much more, and I know this will sound funny, I miss dancing more than I do being the DJ. That's interesting. At, at yeah. a club or a party. I mean, I, I've been on radio since I was 14 years old, and I'm kind of still getting that outlet. I've been broadcasting live every single week since lockdown happened March 2020. So um, I get my kind of fix of playing records for people. Uh, even if I can't see them, I know they're there. I, we have a nice musical conversation. So I'm getting that feeling anyways of sharing music with people. But I haven't really danced on a dance floor surrounded by people and was have been able to lose myself in music. I was doing these these Cosmodelica house parties online uh, on Mixcloud Live over over lockdown. And I'd have a private Zoom with my mates and, you know, from New York and from Japan sometimes and, and, and the UK and Italy. And I would be dancing with them on the Zoom and I'd have 
dance the entire time I was playing. And I've seen you when you're on these on these online events, and you don't stop dancing when yeah. you're DJ. Yeah, my feet were were killing me the next day, but it felt good. It felt like I mean, I can actually dance more doing this in my own record room because there's space. I'm not worried about knocking the needle, you know. And also, I'm not as self conscious because I'm not like on camera all the time. And this well, is do more you feel self conscious when you dance when you're actually out? DJing. Uh, if, if when I'm behind the turntables, I sometimes can't help myself, but sometimes you know people are looking at you. Mm. I mean, that's not the point of why I DJ. I don't DJ as a performer, and I know that some DJs do, and I have no mm-hmm. problem with that. It's just not what I do. So I, no high kicks behind the desk. No high kicks. No ah. fist pumps. No oh, fist pumps. No. But I will actually dance just because I can't help myself. Well, you can't also, help it. I mean, I'm the same when I'm DJing. Yeah. I, I'm always, as one of my friends calls, I've got a DJ wiggle. I know. <laughs> I can't help it because. You feel music with your whole body. It's impossible. I think a lot of female DJs, from my knowledge, and especially from women my generation who started DJing in the 80s and the early 90s or, you know, the women before us, from my understanding, most of us were dancers first. And the DJing came afterwards. I started as a dancer and then Mm. you have a good idea of what makes people dance, you know. And there is that old rule but i'm not saying it's completely true but sometimes like get the woman on the floor and the men will oh, follow yeah, and yeah, you know that, yeah, it's I've it's a that. stereotypical rule it does maybe work in certain places is that from the that. sort of ladies free before 11 yeah exactly 80s exactly flyers. totally totally but um you know most female djs i know we started as dancers first so and where, that's so, what i'm missing so where where did you first start can you remember the first time you went out dancing oh gosh i mean i did in high school i had a fake id and i would go to places of course you did so, you know, Why not? we went to roxbury to like really cool freestyle places in boston i'd sneak out to there was an all-ages disco in framingham we used to go to i mean i also used to go to i mean that was kind of the funk hip-hop dance music but I also went to punk shows. I mean, I was slam dancing as well. I was in the pit sometimes. That's why I have a wonky nose. Oh my, what happened? I, I got kicked in <laughs> up the boot at a Husker Du concert. <laughs> oh my God, good to see you stage diving. I wasn't me stage stage. I would never stage dive. Oh my God. I, I'd see again, that'd be drawing too much attention. Mm. I'm, not a, I'm not the center of attention. Are you quite shy? I'm, um, I you... wouldn't say I'm shy. I think I'm an outgoing person, but I don't like to be the center of attention mm. in terms of big groups and in a strange way I think that's oh, why oh phone is going off yeah I thought I had put this on silent that's okay we're lovely, we're lovely. did you break your nose then I, I don't think I broke it no but it was a bit swollen and it is a bit wider I've there. never noticed it being yeah, wonky yeah it's a little bit wonky <laughs> it adds character it adds character exactly that, so what the kind scar, of moves are, so what kind know. of moves were you pulling I mean I wouldn't day? say I was very good really um, I I just had a lot of energy and spirit. But what is good? What what makes well, a good dancer? Well, I think dancer? I started watching when I started going to places like the Loft, you know, 1991, 92, and seeing how people danced and using the center of gravity more than your arms. <laughs> Can you explain that? I'm not quite sure. I'm trying to visualize it's it. Using the center of your body and the movement emanating from there. Okay. And also paying attention to your feet and footwork. And it was just more observation. I've never taken any dance classes. I'm, I'm left-handed. I actually took one African dance class one, like one time in the 90s. So I think, let me just learn how to dance a bit better. But I'm left-handed. And every time they move right, I would automatically go left. <laughs> and then I would just lose myself. So, I can just see you in an aerobics class. Oh, Are you no. one of these people goes the wrong way? He totally. Yeah, okay. I always do the wrong thing. So um, I start with the wrong side. So it's really just, you know, 
keeping it's about posture and where you hold your attention, just like, you know, if you're doing Pilates or whatever, it's just holding your center of gravity and letting the, the music emanate from there. I don't know how, I mean, only recently do I know how I look because I've been on camera. I was on camera 130 times in one year. This is last year. This is the last year from the, from the beginning of April, wow. 2020 to the beginning of April, 2021. I counted, I did 130 radio shows that were all streamed on camera, interviews, private classic albums, Sunday's events, hosting things 130 times, and then 20 or 30 other things that were off camera. And I started as a radio person. You know, I did not start. I never wanted to be on camera. When I was doing radio in the early 90s and I was producing syndicated radio shows, people were telling me, you should do MTV, you should do MTV. And I said, no, do not want to be in front of a camera. Do not want to be in front of a camera. It's so because you're self-conscious easy. or just... Yeah, I think I've never mm. really... I don't think I play well to the camera. So this performance aspect. Is yeah. A pressure. I, yes, exactly. Yeah. That's a pressure. Whereas radio to me is communication. Mm. It's all about communicating. I mean, the good thing about doing this here now, as I said to you before we started, was the, the fact that <laughs> I didn't have to bother putting any makeup yeah. on. And I've just come off my bike. I've been to yoga and it doesn't yep. matter. Yeah. Radio's more real to mm. me. And it always has been. I got my first radio uh, when I was seven. I had a transistor radio and I ran upstairs, put it on. It was Fly Robin Fly by Silver Convention. And I was just obsessed. And, and it was a real like friend and companion. I never felt that way about the television. Mm. You know, and I didn't watch a lot of television growing up. We still had a black and white television when I was growing up. We didn't have cable until I was just about ready to leave, you know, to move out. So I didn't have, I didn't play computer like video games nothing like that on the visual side it was always music radio sound and um i don't feel as comfortable no i understand generation and you have to do it you have to adapt and do it you know so i've learned to do it but it's been a begrudging learning process and it's like i remember when i first started doing the shows on worldwide fm the interns said you really should facebook stream but i'm a radio person you really should because it's going to add to your numbers okay and i would finally do it and now I'm, now it's like we, my husband is like my television producer when we do the radio shows live i'm broadcasting live on mixcloud live and twitch we have three or four cameras we have I know, visuals it's so impressive i've seen it it's really yeah. impressive we just wanted to do something a little everyone i don't want to see a dj sitting there on their laptop no, with it's one boring. camera, it's really boring. I'd rather it is just a pressure than to perform. I just because I I I don't like it. So mm. I did one live stream and I just felt I was performing and it, I felt uncomfortable. So yeah. I'm really impressed. I think it's because you're able to do it over a longer period of time and be more relaxed in your own space. Yeah, it's because it's my house. Actually, yeah. I don't want to do the radio shows anywhere else now. I feel really at home there because I am at home and um, and I feel relaxed and my husband it's been like a family effort you know in a sense so it's it's been really great and we, we do something a little different plus the sound that we get out of that studio is really really good because of the cartridges I use and all the equipment you know I wouldn't expect anything less <sighs> Colleen course, I'm going to call you Colleen not Cosmo I'm okay. going to see if I can hold this up for the rest of the interview <laughs> so when you're dancing so what is it because I mean I, some pe- I feel a bit self-conscious when I dance I don't really like dancing out in the crowd I feel safer behind the DJ booth doing my wig or whatever. Mm. How does it make you feel when you're out dancing in a crowd? Like, I, What's important about that? Getting lost and losing my ego mm. and just literally feeling and expressing the music that's going through me. And the loft was a really good place for that because people would dance whatever their style was and they would dance it well. 
They would dance it fully involved, whether it was someone who was like, look like a hippie kind of, you know, who you may not have the moves to people who properly do have the moves. People, couples doing the Latin hustle, you know, no photographs on the dance mm. floor. Oh, God, I miss that so much. Yeah. I mean, I think that's got a lot to do with it, actually, that the fact this was like pre-social media. And I think... Well, and also cameras aren't allowed. Right. So the, yeah. if you look for old photographs of the loft, you don't really find them because they were not allowed. But do you think it's also that kind of um, American that American dance culture, dance music culture is different to, to us Brits? I think we're a bit more uptight. Is it's more it... self-conscious over here. Yeah. I think, you know, and in a sense, that's why the style is better in Britain and, and in Europe. You know, people are more pulled together the way they look and the way they present themselves are more stylish. If I'm making huge generalizations yeah, here, course, but, yeah. <laughs> but having lived on both sides of the Atlantic, mm. I think I'm in a pretty good place to do so. And Americans are very, um, they don't have as many airs and graces for better or for worse. You know, I feel the Europeans are more sophisticated in the way they present themselves and Americans are more straightforward. So in some ways, like I used to love in New York, you know, people just walk around with their headphones on, singing at the top of their lungs. I very rarely see I've that seen over that here. In New York. I've seen that yeah. in New York. Once yeah. in a while here. My daughter does it, but mm. <laughs> she's half American. But um, I call it being turned out, just not caring what other people think of you. I think it's, we need to be more like that here. Yeah, but I mean, also, it is kind of nice, too, having a level of sophistication and style. It's, it's, it's great to appreciate as well. I'm not trying to say one's better than the other, but no. when it comes down to dancing, of course, the dancing I experienced on the dance floor in New York was better than the one over here, except for places like Dingwalls. Or, I, mean, I haven't gone to Dingwalls myself, but we did. A, we hosted Dingwalls in our tent at We Out Here. Or when I used to go to Plastic People. Um, well, that was a perfect space. It was dark. Yeah, it was dark. And also the jazz dancers over here, I think, really lost themselves. And what I've seen from Northern Soul dancers, and that's very similar with, with the talcum powder mm. to the loft as well. So people really losing themselves. So it does happen. It does happen. I'm so impressed with Northern Soul dancing. I went to Northern Soul night about two years ago, and I just I could not believe the dancing. I was just like... I didn't even dare attempt it. It's beautiful. I and mean, people are really losing themselves, you know. That's the whole thing. I think it, whether you even playing records to listening to music, to dancing to music, it is all about getting past the ego and losing that. But is there a track or a number of tracks that you would hear that you know you would just lose your shit or God. wig out to? I mean, there's, there's so many. I'm not very good at the one, the one thing. No, because hard, isn't it? My tastes are so far ranging. And also, even as a DJ, I've played so many different styles, really. And and even more so with Balearic Breakfast. I mean, it's just all over the place. So when you're as a, acting as a DJ and you're trying to like get people to dance, I mean, there must be some tricks in your record box that you pull out because you know they work. Oh, yeah, there's certain ones like Life on Mars, Dexter Wenzel. There's so what is right it about there. that then? You think that kind it of... is a groove. There's a psych. For me, there has to be a nice combination of things. I'm not interested in loopy grooves that are really kind of music that's made. There's, there's a lot. I just came from Fonica too, so I just heard like 
10 records and there's always just like one that I like out of 10. You know, it's a lot of color by numbers. Oh, if I do this, I put the, the filter pass, you know, that kind of all the tricks, that, all the tricks and take a great disco groove and loop it up. And, you know, then I'll put on some getting higher, you know, whatever like this. I, I'm very cynical about music like that. I feel like it's made, okay, I'm going to make this to sell records. I'm going to make this for this. And it doesn't feel like there's a real genuine inspiration. No, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, and for me, it comes down to the life energy of music, which is something my friend David taught me about. And the song itself has to add to your quality of life. Mm. I mean, that's the way to put it. And, and for me, I want to play records, and I try to. I'm not saying I'm always successful, that I will be playing in 10 years' time. I know there was a period of time when I when I was playing a lot as a DJ and traveling a lot as a DJ around 2000, say 1999, 2000, where maybe I did play a few more tracks because I was playing big clubs every single weekend traveling and I was just coming down here to Soho, going to all the shops. Of course, it was all vinyl still. And, um, you know, I'd, oh, that's a good groove. And I might have played it. Generally, I didn't. But over the, but there were a few that I did that I noticed. Like, hmm, it was kind of tracky. And I'm not really interested in it anymore. I just have a pretty clear idea. And, and now even the way I listen to I listen to all the promos that are sent to me. I'm very choosy. And I just let my instinct take I was going to say, control. you took the words. I was just about to say, it's instinctive. It's, instinct. it's a gut feeling on a yeah, track. That's why That's why people. some people are good curators and some people mm. are not. And you I'm a curator. You can't really put your finger on it. Yeah. It is. I'm a good yeah. curator. I mean, I've been doing it my whole life since I was 14 when I started on the radio, working at record shops, curating records to give to, to recommend to people, you know, whether I'm on the radio doing classic album Sundays, writing about music. It's all been about curation, which has been my ear, and I've just learned to trust it. And there might be some songs that everyone else is playing that I go, you know what, I'm just not getting it for whatever reason. So what do you do, I mean, going slightly off topic, but like, you know, you pull out, you know, you're playing the tunes to get people to dance. And what if there's always that one person you can't reach? Have you had people come up and say, oh, you know, the usual requests or like, have you got this? How do you manage that? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I haven't had to deal with that as much. I mean, I think since the last 15 years, I've been a lot more careful where where I play, you know, and I think I'm more into playing in places where I feel familiar with the community and it's like-minded people. And there's certain places that might be very flashy that I'm just not really interested in playing. I did it around that time. I I think it's about about selecting where you play. If you're in a position to be able to do that. Yeah, Yeah, well, I think I just became known. I think there was one point, probably around 2000, I had the right manager. She wanted me to be her, you know, female DJ star. And I remember making a mix for her. And she's like, don't you want to make money? I thought it was the most commercial mix I'd ever done in my life. But it did have like Harry Simon underwater on it and stuff. But... And I realized I would never pursue, I would never be that famous because I would never want to do the kind of, you know, play the big tracks that everyone else was playing because it's they were big. Isn't it? Yeah, I just, I couldn't do the musical compromise. Mm. 
I could not. So play the game. Uh, yeah, of. and I'm happy where I am. Like mm. I have a That's great very amount kind of support. Very Weatherall kind of perspective because yeah. yeah, that kind of like nah, you got to be genuine, be yourself. Totally, totally. And out of a lot of the DJs from his generation, so many did sell out, and that I would never listen to. You know, and I just did not pursue this to be famous. I didn't no. pursue music, and there's some people that do, and that's fine too. I'm not even judging them. There are people who are DJs who are more of a performer, and that's fine. It's just not why I did it. So, you know, I'm really, I feel really blessed that I can lead the kind of life I want to lead and play the music that I really like to people that want to hear it. I mean, that's, I mean, the end that's of the day, amazing. It's, it's about finding happiness, isn't it, in yeah. yourself and what you do. I wouldn't want to be the, there's some of the really ultra famous DJs. They're always on a plane. They have very hard time keeping down relationships. They don't really have a lot of other interests that we'll probably talk about some of mine and coming up that are a huge part of my life outside of music. Huge, massive. And, I just wonder what their quality of life is like. Because at the end of the day, being happy with your quality of life is a number one thing. I think probably more people have realized this over well, maybe the last over the, year. I was going to say, yeah. I think over the last year and a half, I think, well, I hope people have had a bit of a realization mm. about what what makes them happy. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of DJs too saying, you know, I don't know if I do want to go on a plane every single weekend. It must be exhausting. It's exhausting. I mean, it's one thing when you're going to places that you already know and it's communities that you're part of and it's a whole different thing. And that's generally what I I try to do but you know when I was doing this about 20 years ago like popping in here at the big club in Italy two hours up the next oh, DJ it's quite fun though isn't it it was fun <laughs> in some sense but it was fun for a time yeah and although I definitely had the opportunities to go further on that side and and I realized it wasn't really me and that's, you know, not it's just gotta really, be you. yeah. And then, be you, Colleen. I nearly said Cosmo. I'll stop there myself. There you go. Be you, Colleen. Be you. Yeah, there you go. So this whole, I mean, obviously dancing is a really active thing. I know you like yoga and I, being active is that physical feeling is really important, isn't it? About really your important. mental well-being. And so, you know, I know that a lot of the things you've selected to discuss today has been quite active, which is quite interesting. No objects. Yeah. I noticed that too. And I did. I was like, these are all activities, things that I do. So Rather you're a than doer. things, I'm a you. doer, yeah. and then it's doing things that makes me happy, not things. Yeah, well, yeah. I think that's really healthy. So, and and one of the next things, you know, from dancing to walking. Oh god! So you were saying that walking is one of your big loves that, oh, in your goodness. life. It's huge. It's always been, even since I was little. I grew up in a small town, so I was able to walk. And you know, we had forests and woods. So where around. was this? This is in Massachusetts, Holliston. When I was growing up, it was half the population. There's more forests and blueberry picking, and like very New England kind of childhood then also I got my driver's license about a year after all my friends because I didn't go take driver's ed education classes because I was working in a record shop I didn't have time so I always had to take the bus and I was walking a lot then I'd go to Boston record shopping I'd be walking a lot and then when I moved to New York I mean that's just how I got around. Even after going to a club at three in the morning I didn't want to get onto the subway because to me it was like going down it was it was also, I thought, well, uh, more crime. Sure. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Although I had been, you know, I have some issues walking as well, but I felt like walking was safer in a strange way. Because New York, you know, it's the city that never sleeps. So you were walking up 8th Avenue or wherever I had to go, and there's always people around. There's also, is it around. like coming down off a night out? It's quite nice to totally. walk home. I'm like, I, I quite like that after a late gig, you know. Yeah, and I, I work a lot of stuff out. So also, when my daughter started going to school, I would walk four times down the canal, you know, drop her off, pick her up. Then when she stopped 
um, when she finished primary, went to secondary, and I didn't have to walk her anymore. I walked her the first day and then cried the whole way back. And then I realized, you know, because I work from home, if I'm not DJing, there'd be sometimes some days where I'd never even left the house. And then I realized I have to go and actively walk. So now since lockdown, I have walked so much. I'm talking about three-hour walks. Well, you and, like, probably 90% of the population. Totally, <laughs> but long bike rides, long walks, and... I love living in East London and we have so many parks and we have Epping Forest and literally every week I'm exploring new new places. So do you walk on your own or with people? What do both, you prefer? Both. Yeah, I have one. I have a, a really good walking friend, my friend Lee, and he and I walk a lot of places together and yeah, he's also a Virgo like me. <laughs> and uh, so and then I do I also walk alone, you know. But I and then even after dinner now I get my husband, come on, let's go for a walk in the park, you know. He's a more reluctant walker, but he's getting there. But I, it's just, it's also a way for me to work out my problems. Also, when I've been working on remixes, so I'll do a bounce and listen to the mix, and I, and then walk around the park in a loop, and then ideas come. Absolutely, yeah, it's yeah. incredible. I mean, there's actually there are studies that show that walking increases creativity. Yeah, well, I, I don't doubt that. Yeah, I there don't is, doubt yeah. that. I mean, I'm the same. Like, I, I mean, I run a bit more than walk. With running, I use that time to listen to music properly. So obviously, like, really listen to it. I but... generally don't listen to music when I'm walking. Generally, I listen to what's around me. I get very nervous about having things in my ears. And I like to hear what's happening around me. But when I'm working on a mix or something like okay. that, then that's the only time I'll use so earbuds. So it's kind of form of meditation for you, would you say? It is. I work out so many problems and things come to me. They just literally pop into my brain. I think because I have the space to do so. Because if I'm at home, I'm on the computer. I was going to say, it gets room. you away from yeah, screens. Totally, yeah. Absolutely. So, And I just love it. I absolutely love it. And I can. Um, I think it's a good way to keep yourself young. I feel... More fit now this year than I did a year ago, you know, and I'm in, you know, I'm 53 in two months. So you don't look it. How do you do it? I walk. I'm just looking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. I dance. I That's walk. For all, the, all the listeners out there. <laughs> there you go. If you want to look younger, they're walking. <laughs> and actually, this I, I'm such a nerd. There's actually research that also says the more you exercise, the younger you look. There you go. There was this the research done on these twins, these mm -hmm. women, and one exercised and one didn't. One through some, I don't know how they worked it out, but looked seven years younger than the other one. Oh my gosh, wow. So that really is, you know. Yeah. And it's your skin's really good. I think it's because the Hot blood. Hot lemon as well. The blood goes <laughs> around your face. I am not, I was never a sporty person growing up. Uh, we'll be getting into one of my next activities in a second. That was one of the few things I did do, but I wasn't on team sports. I didn't, wasn't a cheerleader. Definitely not. I couldn't um, see you as a cheerleader. I've no, got to say. No, no, definitely not. And yeah, I wasn't on any sports teams. Uh, I did do a lot of walking, but I got more active as I was getting older through just things that I can do myself, like yoga. Or my next activity, should I name it? <laughs> uh, yeah, go on then. Swimming. Swimming. Yeah, yeah. I really miss swimming because so, I have a, still haven't been to the pool. So swimming and walking, I mean, they're both kind of forms of meditation. They are, they? and I like long distance, so swimming a mile. You know, I like a, just that boring old activity. How I am not an adrenaline sports. How long does it take to swim a mile? It depends. I mean, if I was pushing myself, I, sp I, I don't know because I, I do my own kind of – I like to swim for at least a half an hour. And when I was started swimming regularly, I mean, I started swimming when I was really young. We had a, a swimming pool when I was a, in high school, um, so I was able to swim in there. But really, it wasn't until I was in my 20s I started going to a pool and swimming 
long distance. In the beginning, I just did front crawl. Go as fast as I can, front crawl. And I was, you know, it was great. And that's the hardest one, but it's also the the best one in in terms of speed. But as I got older, I realized I need to, to work all the different muscles. And so I started really training myself on backstroke and side stroke and breaststroke. Those are much slower. So what about wild swimming? See, what do you prefer, pool, wild? I prefer all of it. I grew up near a lake. So I learned to swim in the lake, which is a great place to learn because it's fresh water. You keep your eyes open. There's no real waves, you know. We had a tiny little sunfish sailboat. I grew up learning how to sail. My dad taught me. We had a canoe as well. My dad was really into boats. We grew up not too far from Cape Cod as well. So in the summer, I'd go to Cape Cod for two or three weeks. And that was ocean swimming, which I love. And I loved being in the waves. I'd go on the boat with my dad, my dad, and, you know, I would boat around and... So boating is a big part of it for me as well. I so anything to do with kind of water, Anything basically. to do with water. But I didn't do like water skiing and stuff no. like that. That wasn't me. It'd be like, I'd be doing the sailing. I'd be helming a boat or or swimming, scuba diving. I started scuba diving when I was 15. I got my paddy license. Nothing ever adrenaline-y. There's just have no interest in adrenaline sports. Yeah, isn't there any fear about all these activities, though? Because I get, I mean, personally, I get a bit freaked out if I feel things, like especially lake swimming or wild swimming, feel things touching my legs oh my gosh, and yeah. all that yeah, I mean, lake swimming, not as much, because I don't really think of water snakes as much. But when I've like dove in creeks in Oklahoma, you think of things. And of course, you have to be aware of what's around you. And also growing up, Cape Cod has a lot of great whites, but it didn't have a lot of great whites when I was growing up. Because the seal population, as it's been protected now, has drawn in the great whites. So I keep really close to shore now. But I saw Jaws being filmed in Martha's really? Vineyard. Yeah. So when I was growing up in the late 70s, it was all my aunts and uncles who jump in my dad's pickup truck, go over the dunes. The dog would jump, you know, fly out of the back of the pickup truck as we're bouncing along the oh, that dunes. that sounds really nice. Bring the dog back in. But my aunts and uncles would be like yelling, shark, shark, you know, like, you know, it was always to do with Jaws was such a huge thing. So have there was seen, a fear have you ever seen of that. A shark? I've never seen one. No, I've never seen one. But isn't the trick to like punch it in the nose? In the nose, yeah, because yeah. that's where all their sensors are, and they get disorientated and they don't want to know. But I, that's what you're taught to do. I've never had to, you know, so don't want to either. But yeah, I, I have had fear with the ocean because I have so much respect for it. I mean, I've been on being the first mate on a boat with my dad on the outside on the, you know, running a mile offshore and at the Atlantic in a massive storm. And um, I've still have never been seasick ever. That was the closest. But you should have some fear of the ocean. And it should be a fear that's a respectful fear. Like, you you know, I remember just we used to go down to North Carolina when my family had some family that lived down there. We'd have big family get togethers and the undertow. And I'm a, we're all strong swimmers. Like to be a Murphy, you have to be a strong swimmer. I mean, I taught my daughter to dive in the deep end before she was five. It's like you just were strong swimming stock, you know. And uh, yeah, I got pulled under. You know, by, by undertow. It's really scary. It's like you are not more powerful no, than the ocean. I mean, that's happened to me once. It's yeah. terrifying. I think that's probably why I've got fear of the sea. Well, you because, should. Yeah. You should. But the, then again, there's things that you can do to mitigate that. So you can mm. take a look at the currents. How are they moving? Where are they moving? Where's the riptide? Da, 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 da. And like, and also how you can maybe use it to bring you back in. That's what surfers do. So do you think the powerful element of the sea and the ocean, I mean, is that attractive to you? Why? 
Oh, yeah. What I mean, is that? What I is love that. that. It's also a big mystery, too. I mean, it's coming out more and more now how little we know about the seas and how much we're always looking to outer space when we know very little about the seas, which I mean, is what 70% of our planet. Yeah. It is absolutely fascinating. When I started scuba diving, I was like, oh my gosh, it's a whole new world that exists that I was just never privy to before. The excitement, I think it, it goes back to the sounds of your mother's womb as well. I think there's a, the whole sound mm. of the sea. I thought about that, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, well. the fact that we're 70% of water. The earth is 70% water. I mean, water is a, so important to us for living as well. And um, and just that kind of wide open space as well. I really, really have missed the water. Is it also about being like really alone as well? Like a sort I of feeling of alone. solitude away from, I mean, walking is one thing, um, but actually being in the sea or swimming, you really are totally separated and and it is all down to you i mean of course people can save you i mean with with the actual act of swimming when i'm swimming in a pool what i love about it is it's such a democratic exercise you can be any body shape any body shape and be an amazing swimmer it doesn't matter if you're skinny or what size you are you can be a beautiful swimmer no matter what you know, can and you, can I you think be that's amazing. To swim, or is it something like you can be taught to swim, and you can be taught about technique. And some mm. people will just have a bit better form that's natural. But there's things. It's like I try to think about. It, it's almost like being aerodynamic, creating the least amount of resistance. I try to think of myself as an axle. You know, just like all on one axle, turning like that, and just having as efficient movement as possible you know so you're not like splashing around like great swimmers don't splash it's kind of annoying when you see people splashing yeah. around in the pool I've got to say it's just yeah. like have you ever had like um, swimming rage oh my gosh I have oh my gosh especially when I was pregnant I had a problem with men that didn't like it if I swam faster than them oh that, Quite, uh, why I mean, am I it's, not surprised it's a, it was incredible and they're trying to and then you know I'm actually a pretty considerate swimmer if I take get to the end Make sure there's no one right behind me who's faster than me. If they are, I let them go, just like a car. Like if, I, if someone wants to drive faster than me, fine. I'll pull over and let them, they can go. I don't care. You know, and there are people who are faster. And I believe everyone from every ability should be able to do the workout they want. So then I would generally go to the fast lane. Uh, some pools I might go medium now, you know, because it's just they're just much faster than I am at this point in my life. But I go into the fast lane. You get slow swimmers oh that God, feel that's entitled. So <laughs> And then they get the lifeguards that don't say anything. No. It's like, wait a minute, we're all paying the same amount yeah, to be it's really, here. Really, really annoying. When that I happens. need to get my workout too, just like they need to get this. And they're they're impeding people because if it's a narrow lane, you can't pass because there's people coming at you. So those things do. But I remember once getting kicked when I was pregnant. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, it's just a guy probably swimming past and passing me a little too close or, or it's one of those you. accidental ones and I just mm. I, I gave it to him I really what gave happened? it to him nothing but you know I, the thing is I've always made friends with the lifeguards you know when I see people over and over I always say hello mm -hmm. and so that people look out for you but you know I don't think I was visibly pregnant I think at that point so but I've really noticed man spreading in swimming pools it's a thing man spreading what's that you know what man spreading no. is so when you know when you see, sorry guys listening, and I'm not like anti-men, but mm. this is a fact. And I've actually seen women do this too. But when you see guys on the bus or on the tube and they just spread their legs oh, wide like that, it's yeah. called man-spreading. And I, and I see kind of man-spreading in, in the lanes as well when, right. people, when men are swimming, taking up a lot of space. I don't want to yeah. go into an anti I try to stick rant. to the side. You know, of course, if you're doing breaststroke, your arms are going to go way out wide. But if you're doing front crawl, you mm. can keep it really 
thin, you know. So let's go back to the, the like the important thing about swimming because I love swimming as well. Yeah. So how do you feel like weightless? You, okay, cause that's let, what I love. Take us in the pool with you. I love like? I love the weightless feeling, the water. I love not having not feeling like I'm sweating and I'm exercising really hard. I love the feeling of water all around me. I've actually got my eyes oh, closed. I know. I was just thinking about it too. I was like, get me back, get me vaccinated. I'm there. Fully I'm again. there with you. In the pool. I'm there. Oh my gosh, because I heat up really quickly when I'm exercising. So in the pool, I don't feel that way. I love the feeling of the water. I love the feeling of using my entire body, which I don't in any other exercise except for yoga or Pilates. I, I start thinking about other stuff. You know, I might be counting sort of in the back of my head. Yeah, you know, 20, 30, whatever. But again, it's another place where I can work things yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And I find activities just just helps me do that rather than sitting there brooding mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. something. I know? think you think with your whole body. I'm sure that's you know the mind and body are so closely connected. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I found if you're having if you're upset or I don't know I, how do you find swimming helps you with that. I mean, it helps even if I feel like I have I might be getting sick. I can swim and just blast it out. I find exercise just helps with all those things. Like exercise that you like. I'm not a gym person. I never have been. I don't go and lift weights. Again, that's too performative, isn't it? It's too, too performative. Yeah. yeah, for me, it's like it's always been individual. I'm not competing against anyone else. I've never competed in sports. Do you and, find that uh, when you go swimming, you, if you're in a bad look, come on, we all get in a bad mood. It happens. It sorts it out. Totally. Swimming and walking, biking, mm, yeah. definitely. Especially when you've been in a house, you know, for a year or something. And you're just like, ah. You know, I got to get out. For people who are going through grief, I'm sure there are people out there who are grieving. Swimming is really good for that. It is. Because you can cry. I have cried. And no one knows. My dad was a big swimmer. And he actually had his last stroke in the pool. He did? Yeah. So, um, and the pool I used to go to with him. Well, and does that make you feel sad when you're That's you're why swimming? I remember the first time swimming after he died, just crying. And sometimes I think about him. He would give me tips on form as well because he was a long distance swimmer. Well, He's the one that got me scuba so diving and everything. does that give you comfort then? It does because it's something we shared. Yeah. Even growing up, my sister and my mother weren't as into the boats at that mm. time. And so... Maybe they were a little fearful. They just weren't into it. So when we would go away, it was my dad and I would go onto the little sailboat and sail around and go get an ice cream and tie up and look at all the big super yachts. And, you know, we have the dog on the boat with us and, you know, sailing around a fancy harbor looking at the boats. Oh, right now, that just sounds amazing. It's amazing. But, you know, it's, it's one of these things that I'll always think of with my dad mm. is, is being on the water, boats. I'm, it's getting teary-eyed thinking about it now. And it's something we shared. And mm. it's, it makes me feel more connected to him. Mm. So I got my boat license, my powerboat license, powerboat two, two or three years ago. So, sorry, sounding ignorant. Does that mean you can drive drive one? Uh, yeah, I can have right a boat expression? helm. Yeah, so I can do, I think it's, is it 10 meters? Okay. And only a certain amount offshore. But I got it on the Thames. So I was able to helm a boat underneath Tower Bridge, through the Thames Barrier. These are things that you generally can't do because the Thames is just for commercial traffic. Mm. So have so, you got a boat now? No, no. I would love to have one out on the money for one. But now I was able, we well, able to DJ, rent them. Well, if you DJ, horrible clubs that you don't like, you could well, buy a boat. Well, the thing that was really nice, I, the, I remember playing in Croatia at the end of the summer in 2019, and I had had a, quite a busy summer. I had three gigs just in those three days in three different places, three different cities. And so my husband and I and, and daughter 
and her friend, we rented a house in Croatia just for that last week of August. It was my birthday as well. It was great. Just to, it's like, oh my gosh, I finished the summer, you know. But we were able to rent a boat for two days and sail around, and not sail, it was a powerboat, and to go around to all these little islands oh and God. just drop anchor. There was one place that just had a little restaurant where a donkey could walk in, and it was just owned by this family, and you could only get there by boat. And what, what they made is just magical. the fish that just came from the sea. So it opens up a whole new world. Boating, of course, can be a lot of money. I mean, we were growing up as a tiny little sunfish that had the sail. It was cheap. It's a huge you know? industry, isn't it? It's a huge it's industry. Because you see of... the Elon Musk is in he building yeah. a new boat. It's mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, that's just yeah. insan- insanity. And my dad was a delivery captain for the last part of his life. So basically, rich people that have beautiful boats, there's only two types of boats that he would that he would captain at that point because he was very choosy. There were ground banks and, and Flemings. You know, rich people would have their boats up in New England in the summertime and back down to Florida for the winter. And so he would deliver the boats. And also, if someone would buy one, of the, he knew a lot of the dealers. Someone bought a boat. He would sometimes go out in their first few runs mm. and teach them how to do it themselves. So how did he get into it then? Was it in, the, in his family? Well, my, my grandfather was in the Navy. Oh, there it is. Yeah, they and he was, that's my grandmother was a war bride. She was from Plymouth. Mm-hmm. She was from Plymouth in Devon. And my grandfather was stationed there in the war in the Navy. And plus, you know, the Boston Irish growing up in, in Boston and, you know, being right near the water. And it's just boats, boats, boats. So my dad was in the Navy for a short time, was discharged because he had had polio when he was young. I remember you told me that, yeah. Yeah, but so, his boats so, were always his passion. I think he yeah. even built a boat when he was in high school, you know? Wow. Yeah, for his, like, because he was really into woodworking and carpentry. He had polio. So how did, do you think being in the water or being free in that way had was related to yeah, that Yeah, maybe it could have. But all, even my nan, who grew up in Plymouth was really into swimming. Mm, she mm. was doing handstands in the pool in her 70s. Wow, that's going to be you. I don't do handstands. No. I'm not acrobatic. <laughs> Are you a good diver? I'm a good diver, yeah. But I don't do acrobatic diving. I'm just no. a good diver. Just because like, I've had to do it. Do you, you like know? watching swimming? I love watching swimming. I love watching diving. I can't mm. believe those people that go up in those high dives. I think of the Mr. Bean. where He's like, <laughs> he's like clinging onto the, the diving board. Oh, my gosh, that's me. <laughs> but they make it look so easy, though, don't they? It's incredible how graceful how graceful they are, you know. But I'm just not an acrobatic person. I'm I'm a I'm a Virgo. I like my feet on the ground, or I like swimming, and that's it. And, you know. So it's all very active. I mean, mm. obviously, like the the doing of things. But yeah. there's there's also you said one of your other loves is reading. Yeah. And that's quite sedentary. It of. is that's... unless you're unless you're walking to an audio book, which I don't know if you. No, do I don't that. do audio books. Um, so how do you sit still and and I, I've read? always I've always been a bookworm since I was little. In fact, I was going through. I was like I was voted you know class bookworm. I remember we had a library in the center of town. I grew up in the center of town of this little town. I could just walk to the library and it was this big old fashioned library. And you know probably for you America, walk to the library and swim back. That'd be perfect, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I would just sit in the chairs and like I put, you know a lot of kids would be out in the park playing and I would love to go in there into the library and I'd. I'd take out loads of books and get awards for the summer for how many books that I read. And I was reading, I think, before. There is, you know, that's also being quite square. Are you yeah, square? Yeah, very. Good. See, I'm not, like that's, I'm not like the DJ performer. And no, I, that's, I think I've always, I'm more introverted in that size, solid, more solitary. And I think that's how I got into DJing in a weird way. It's escape, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, I, it's like I would go to a party, I'd look through someone's record collection. Instead of making small talk, I'd have something to talk about or I'd just put records on. I spent a lot of time in my room playing records and reading. 
Also, when I was growing up, we would when we went to Cape Cod, we went to Martha's. Well, we went to Chappaquiddick, which was an island that's attached to Martha's Vineyard, depending upon the tide. But the place we went had no electricity and no telephone. When we went away, and some of the other place we went to was in Maine, up in logging territory, and you had to take a boat just to get there. It had an outhouse. No electricity, no telephone. My dad, you know, this is in the 70s and the early 80s. He just wanted to get away. And that was something you could do back then. So no one had phones. So there's no, so it's just kerosene lamps and wood stoves or fireplaces. And you would just read. You know, it was just a lot of time reading. There's two people to watch too much TV these days. Yeah, TV, and they're always on screens being mm. entertained. And I've always loved going into another world, you know, especially if I'm stressing about something. Like right now, I'm rereading a book. Just I just know that I love it so much. And I remember reading it about 10 years ago and just so what being devoured. Uh, it's, 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 it's a great page turner. It's well-written uh, Donna Tart, The Secret History. I mean, it's a big one. A lot of people have read it. She wrote The Goldfinch as well. What's a, can you give us the overview of what it's, it is? I can't really it's it's like a murder story mm-hmm. but um and I read it 10 15 years ago about a very a lot of privileged people and it it takes place in New England in a university in Vermont just before I went to university so it's interesting reading it now too cuz it seems like the olden days and it's like no I lived <laughs> through those days. olden days <laughs> oh I do feel old but like things that you would just never get now. And I just realized what a past, how far removed we are from the childhood and the teenagehood and even the early, the 20s that I had where we're, there was just, we didn't have that digital media side to it. It was just, no. we were living. We oh, were no. just living. We need to live more. I think destroy Instagram, social media, go you know? back to books. Yeah. So do you, is there a particular genre that you're drawn to? Are you quite, are you no, quite broad? No, really broad. Same with music. And uh, I was in a book club for a bit as well. We went through all different types. The only thing I will not read is poetry. Oh, really? I hate reading poetry. Really? Oh, it. controversial. I like it sung and spoken. Yeah. But I hate reading poetry on the page. Okay. I absolutely loathe it. Oh, my God. I don't think I've ever seen loathe you. Loathe so it. impassioned about it. And I kept something. saying in the book club, if I'm not reading poetry, if it happens. I really just don't like it. But if someone read it to me. Yeah. I loved poetry slams. I, I love singing. I think it's I love, a lot love to do with sung. delivery, isn't it? It is. It's reading it on the page for mm. me. It just, I just, it just, It just doesn't come naturally to me. But I like all different kinds of books. And I love books that just kind of get passed around that are recommended by other people in general. So it's definitely this escape thing, isn't mm. it? It's like escaping. To, like, a lot of DJs mm-hmm. that I've interviewed over the years or people into music, they've often used music to escape out of quite difficult childhoods or just, I don't know if that's anything that you can relate to at all. Yeah, I would say I didn't have a difficult childhood. I'm really lucky. So I think I just have a really rich interior world. I'm hugely curious about the world. Mm. You know, uh, it's all they, about being interesting and interested. I yeah, think. exactly. I'm always exploring. In the last year and a half, it's been exploring my neighborhood, going out to Epping Forest. Like I've lived here for 20 years, and I have it. I, you know, I should know Epping Forest like the back of my hand, and I'm starting to learn that. But you know, it doesn't matter if it's far or near. But I just have a huge imagination. I used to write a lot as a kid, and you know, make up games. Really rich interior life. We didn't have things done for us as much, and I'm always been able to occupy myself I'm fine alone Tra- I've traveled a lot of my big trips have been alone whether it's India or Central America you just or feel living completely in Japan secure I feel in completely yeah. yeah I mean I get, I like get into rough scrapes sometimes as well but I'm happy to go out to eat by myself as long as I have a book I pretty much if I leave the house and I'm not 
if I'm not just walking or biking, I pretty much have a book on me. Yeah. Almost always. That's good. I mean, I, was, I need to do that more. Yeah. Even like waiting in a queue. The thing I hate. Yeah. One of the things I hate as much as poetry is waiting in a queue because I'm like, I'm like, why am I waiting? It's like in a... wasting time. It's you wasting time. Something. So I always have a book. Yeah. So if you have a book, you're happy. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, whether I'm waiting in, in a queue or, or traveling. And that's one thing I noticed when lockdown happened. I first started reading less because a lot of my reading in the last few years has been on tubes, on planes. That's and, really and, interesting. You know, yeah. On the commute. Yeah. It's on the commute. In the beginning, I didn't really read that much. It was odd. So, you would think I had all this time to read. I think I was just more like, what do I do? How do I save my career? You know? Oh, yeah. Other things come into play. Yeah, exactly. They? How am but, I going to make money? Do you have a space in your house? Or where do you like to read? I do like to read reclined, I have to say. I am a bit middle-aged now. And, you know, I like the feet up. <laughs> but I can read anywhere. I, just, I read on the bus on the way here. You know, on the top of the number eight bus. So. Well, lovely, lovely, follow me down. I did write a lot when I was young, and my grandfather loved writing. He loved poetry, believe it or not. And in fact, I'm, I remember this because we did a meeting once about this. I went, uh, I'm related by marriage to Louisa May Alcott, who wrote Little Women. Oh, really? Yeah, but wow. by marriage, so not not me in the bloodline. Yeah, but there's a, it's a, it's a very obtuse connection. But in any case, one thing I would have loved to have written probably is children's books. When my daughter was born, and I started really getting into children's books, especially early children's books with the illustrations. And uh, that's how I really fell in love with books. And I fell in love with books as well because of my grandparents were really well read. Uh, even though my grandmother was complete working class, dad worked in the gas works in Plymouth, they read. And my grandfather wooed her because, you know, the beginning it was like, you know, all right, Maze, you're stay. If I find one of you with one of them Yanks, you're in for the duration. You know what I mean? Like, you, I don't want you seeing any, you know, they're over, what is this, overpaid overpaid over sex and over here. And my grandfather would go over and woo them talking about Shakespeare. And he was working class too, youngest of 12. But reading was always a big thing. So it's and in the genes then? Yeah, that's definitely from that side. And she got me, they got, remember, Robert Louis Stevenson, poetry, which I did like, but uh, Grimm's Fairy Tales and Alice in Wonderland. They got me a set when I was young. It's instilled. I think it's instilled, instilled at an early age. It's really instilled, and I. It's a really important thing to do with children when they're young is to read to them. For I read still, to my daughter very could, early. You could still write children's books, couldn't you? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's a talent that you have to have time for, and you know, there's a lot of things. I'd love to speak fluent Japanese. I'd love to speak fluent Italian. I, again, there's. I don't feel like I've had enough time on earth to do everything I want to do. Hopefully, I will. You know, I'm interested in so many things, so yeah, think, it's just another thing I'm interested yeah. in. But you know, I I found even in music, I'm kind of scattered all over the place. So I may as well just stay there, where where I think you know. People like me for what I do and, and do all those different things that I'm doing and, and, um, so and do said, those stuff for pleasure. you say you don't listen to audiobooks when you're walking. How no. come? I just don't. I listen to what's around me. Yeah. I'm really focused now. I used to, when I was walking in New York, I'd wear my Walkman, but I'm very much into hearing the sound of the world around me, especially if I'm in nature. I can't even imagine like not listening to the birds. Oh, it makes me want to go for a walk, a nice long walk. Yeah. I like walking with people to talk. It's a bit like walking therapy, which yes. is a form of therapy. So you can walk and talk without that kind of intense face-on-face -face therapy. Maybe you should do your podcast like that. Oh, yeah, maybe we should. Maybe you should do a walking podcast. <laughs> I'm sure someone's done it. Already, walk in the they? forest with Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I'd be, if, I'd just embarrass myself. Probably hear me peeing in a hedge or something like that. <laughs> Do you do that, Wild Wheeze? Oh, yeah. I'm... I had to do it once at Houghton Festival while DJing. I did it not my the first year at Houghton because they had the most the worst toilets. Uh, they've only done two so far, have they? So it was the first year I did a nine-hour set by myself in our tent. Nine? You nine crazy. hours. That's why you need to go swimming and nine being hours. strong physically. And I remember, luckily, my friend Ian was doing sound, who I've known since he, David Mancuso, introduced us, and he does sound with us at the, the, at the Lucky Club parties, and he's just become a dear friend. So he's doing sound in the tent, and uh, there's no there's no portaloo near us, and even if they were, they were disgusting. So I was like, can you just hold no up my way. shawl? <laughs> Where did you wait? Right behind the DJ booth. Like, in right, what? And the tents. So you have the tent and then the back area, right? And there's some big trees because we were in the forest. And I just ducked into the tree. I said, Ian, just hold this up. <laughs> I was That's wearing amazing. a dress. I was so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and what about, oh my goodness. And what oh about your walk in Epping, your long walks in Epping Forest? I guess everyone's having a pee behind the tree, I suppose I haven't had to though because I, I know where all the stops are now, like where I can use toilets before and after. Like I have, I have down, I got my walks down now. But it's so funny because, you know, my kid, my daughter is 16 and, you know, of course they've had to spend so much time outdoors, even in the winter. You know, in the winter, the dead of winter, they're all hanging out outside because you can't go in people's homes, you know. So, and it was a rough winter. And it's, <laughs> she knocks on the door, I got to pee. <laughs> as soon as she There's comes There's nothing in. worse than wanting to have a wee. It's probably the worst thing. So just as we wrap up, Colleen, see, I'm sticking mm-hmm. to Colleen. Can you recommend to, to our listeners, like, one really good book, one really good walk, just as a takeaway for them? Okay, great. So if you want a really good book, the book I'm reading now, I think, appeals to everyone. It, it is a big, it's not an obscure book at all, uh, but it's Donna Tartt, The Secret History. If you like reading about music, but maybe not music in a factualist sense, there's a book called But Beautiful by Jeffrey Dyer, which is the best book I've ever read about jazz. Ah. And it's because he gets into the heads mm. of the musicians like Thelonious Monk. So there's stories that are, I guess, factual fiction, I suppose is the best way to put it. But one of the best music books I've ever read. In terms of walks, if you are in London, I love walking through Epping Forest. And there's so many great walks from Thetan Boyce to High Beach. Um, and even you can even go to Chingford and just get right off the, the train there. And, and just what about go one up. in New York? Because this is going oh, out on New York the New York great. channel. I used to always just love walking from either up to from downtown to Central Park and around Central Park mm. or back down. It is just one of my mm-hmm. favorites. I love mm-hmm. that. And now you have the High Line, too. So you can do so much in New York now. Um, you know, you can do partially the High Line up to about, was it 14th or 23rd Street? 23rd, I think, isn't it? And then get off there and then keep walking up to Central Park and do a loop. Fantastic. I, I think we should go for a walk now. I think that sounds great. <laughs> sounds great. Some therapy. Exactly. Walking <laughs> therapy. Thanks ever so much. It's been lovely having you on today's podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Will I live? Follow me down. Deep down, will I live? Oh, gosh, that was fun. <laughs> Yay. While we. <laughs> <laughs> Where else are you going to go? 
You've been listening to Where Love Lives with me, Lulu LaVey. My guest has been the hugely talented Colleen Cosmo-Murphy. This podcast was recorded at the Mega Slick Studios at Soho Radio and was edited and produced by me. Remember, do subscribe, like, comment, share with your friends and remember, I love you. See you next time.